Welcome to Speak Out, Stand Out by Green Communications, where we're learning how to help our kids become better communicators. We believe our voices are the strongest asset we have, and our mission is to empower the next generation to use their voices to make a difference in the world around them. Whether you are a parent, an educator, or are just invested in today's youth, we hope this podcast will help you build confidence in our future one voice at a time. Welcome back to Speak Out, Stand Out. I'm Elizabeth Green, and today's guest is Manira Aidenwala. Manira is an occupational therapist, a homeschooling mom, and works with sensory processing and communication in kids and how this all ties together when we're tracking OT in, and how it applies to speech and communication. It's going to be a really interesting conversation. So Manira, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So, I mean, when, let's dive in and say, typically, you know, we're here talking about building communication skills in our kids. When I think of occupational therapy, I think of, you know, learning how to manipulate, hold a pencil, things like that. What does that have to do with communications? Yes, I'm, uh, the way I look at it is how sensory processing can help to support communication. And uh, often we think about communication as looking and talking and listening. And I, I want to kind of invite you all to think about the moving part of it too, and how the uh, vestibular system, which is your movement system, and how that is also connected to your communication system. And uh, so in the brain, between your ears, you've got your, your auditory system, and you also have your vestibular system, which is responsible for movement. And those structures, they're like right, they're next door neighbors, they're right next to each other. And they're always talking to each other and communicating back and forth with each other and sending messages to each other. So your vestibular system will have an impact on your auditory system which is has uh, lots of responsibilities for communication as well. So just by working on your movement system or using movement as a support, that can have an impact on your communication system. And it's just that brain science, um, how, how that all works. And I, I think I love when I see that, how one thing can have an impact on something else without you even working on that something else, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's kind of really cool. It's. I think it's interesting because if, our, if we see that our kids maybe have a delay in speech and they need to work with a speech therapist, that's what comes to mind, right? Where yeah. oftentimes it goes hand in hand with OT. Yeah, yeah. And often um, occupational therapists and speech therapists love working together just because what we do, it really goes back and forth with with each other. And uh, oftentimes speech therapists love when kids are getting occupational therapy at the same time or first just because it kickstarts the body and it gets um, helps the body to get more aware aware and stronger and coordinated and more stable. And that has a knock on effect on speech. So they're they are in a really uh, steadier and stronger place to then be work working on speech and uh, communication as at that at that point. Gotcha. So, how do we know if our if our child might benefit from occupational therapy? What are some signs that we should look for? 
Yeah, so some things you might see is that, um, for example, a child might be very slouchy with their body or might slump over with their body or they might be more clumsy or they might trip and fall. Or when sitting down, they might be like leaning on you a lot or leaning on the wall or putting like popping their hands down on the floor to hold themselves up um, a lot because, because they don't have the strength or the stability to do that on on their own and on the other hand you might see kids who are really uh, fidgety or wiggly or it's really hard for them to sit still and uh, they constantly need to be moving because that's what kind of drives drives their body and uh, it's it's so it's hard for them to sit still to do um, like school work or concentrating work at school or while doing uh, speech speech therapy sessions for instance and uh, the, the way I look at it is that the um, speech and language is sometimes like the tip of is tip, the tip of the iceberg. And the same for occupational therapy. We see so many kids for fine motor difficulties or handwriting difficulties. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just what you what you see. It's the most obvious thing that, that you can see. But then there's all these other underlying skills that come before that. And uh, that's that's what we work on building building first and uh that how the uh I, I I love it when I I see kids sometimes and they're um like uh, uh pacing around in circles and it's for me I get a little bit dizzy seeing seeing that and so but that's a, a me issue it's not a them issue and uh it's, it's that's when they're getting a lot of their thoughts out and they're really able to share so much when they are walking around in circles or pacing and even for us as adults, we may notice like when the conversation gets a little bit more heavy or you have so much more to share, you kind of start like, well, I think I'm doing it right now, waving your hands around um, or you might end up like moving, moving your body a lot more. And it's just that's how the movement system is kind of supporting you to be able to to speak and communicate and get your thoughts thoughts out. That's so interesting how they're tied together. And and I, you know, was telling you earlier that I sit on a ball chair. And when I go yeah. back and watch recordings, I can see whenever I start talking or get excited, like I start bouncing and moving all over yeah. the place, which is probably distracting. And I try not to do it, but I'm certainly not thinking about it. I'm thinking about what I want to say. And it's coming out more than just out of my mouth, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, um, like, moving your body is kind of like also moving like the thoughts out of your head if that makes sense so yeah. I, I think so and different people need different amounts of movement to support them to be able to do that and some people may be the kind of people that they can just kind of sit still and do that and then there's others who sitting on a, a ball chair will be enough and then there's others who need to be standing and walking to be able to get their thoughts out and I just had this random thought, actually, of professors in university. They're often like standing in the front and like walking around while sharing what they want to share with their um, students as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it's, um, for a lot of grownups, we just do this na naturally. And uh, I think kids need to be given more opportunity to be doing that as well. And there's nothing wrong wrong with doing that. It's just a different way. Everyone has their own different ways of processing information and getting what they need out of their head. 
Yeah. I am so glad you brought this up because I can think of many instances where my kids have been talking to me and they've been pacing or turning in circles or whatever. And I have kind of stopped them and said, stop and look at me while you're speaking because we want to teach them how to have eye contact and to look at the person they're talking to. But ultimately, I'm probably doing them a disservice by having them stop when they're trying to get their thoughts out. I should probably just let them move. I think stopping kids from moving is actually also stopping the thoughts from coming out of their head, if that makes sense. And also, um, I know that my um, child has said this to me as well before that because uh, he also he doesn't really look when he has lots of things to share in his head. And it's because it's almost like you're looking into your mind to, th- to figure out what you're saying. And that and it means you're not available to be looking at somebody at that time. So it's almost um, so in I, I think we just as society need to be accepting of different people and their different ways of communicating and sharing their information. And uh, sometimes the looking may not be necessary for 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 some people um, some at some times. And uh, I've been in conversation, too, where I don't know, um, I, I feel like I almost close my eyes when I'm working with some children or doing things on their body, or if I have to like think about something, but it's only, I have to kind of go within to think about it and process it and then take it out. But I'm also, I'm not looking in those times, if that makes sense. So sometimes I think it's just recognizing your child and what they need and it not being, it's not wrong. It's just different. Um, And it's not worse or, or, or better. It's just different. And us being more accepting of different ways of, off doing things at the same time so it's just yeah. it's cool you're sitting on a ball chair and I'm actually sitting on a bed I might be bouncing a little bit because of the mattress you know but it's it's how we how we um get by and do what we need to do or what's important to us yeah I know it, when we teach um you know we teach speech and debate classes and when I'm teaching kids how to present when they're giving a speech I will often say you don't want to like what they'll do most of the time is they're sitting in a chair that spins. And so they're constantly, you can see me, but to the audience that's listening, you can visualize this. They're just going back and forth and back and forth. And I always tell them how that can be distracting to their audience if they're doing that. But I think it's totally different scenarios where we're talking about just having a conversation and trying to get our thoughts out as opposed to presenting a speech that we've already practiced and prepared. And then it's just nerves kind of taking over. I think yeah. there are two different scenarios. Yeah. And I think I wonder, it might be interesting also um, if, because I, I haven't done debate, but you know, sometimes you're put on the spot where you have to think about something at that time. And I wonder if sometimes if that's a time when you might need to kind of move a little bit more because you're kind of figuring out what you're saying and it's something new and different versus something that is rehearsed and practiced um, yeah. and it's kind of already stored in your brain somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. No, that makes that makes great sense. So as parents, while we're, you know, if we're, you've given us some tips on what we should be looking for in our kids that would, might indicate that they could benefit from occupational therapy. But what are some things that we can do with our kids too? some strategies or examples, activities that you do and you recommend that we could do at home? Yeah, I think what we've kind of talked about one of them, which I, I didn't think about initially, but I think uh, one is to just be kind of a uh, open and accepting of how kids are moving and looking and doing things in their way and so if they may not be looking at you then that's 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 okay they're kind of figuring figuring out they, they're spending their 
concentration and focus on other areas versus the, the, the looking and also to be kind of accepting of kids moving at, and talking and moving and doing things at the, at the same time. And uh, some other uh, strategies, one is you're doing one already really, really well, is sitting on a, 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 a on the ball and bouncing on a ball while while and having these kind of movement things available in your house so you might have a ball in the house you might have a trampoline or something to jump on I really love um it's it's called a bosu it's like a half ball and it's on like a solid base so you can stand and jump on it and it's uh, great for having something indoors especially if you're in like a cold place where or a rainy place where you cannot um go where you may not be going outside to do these things or winter time you know so I uh, love having these kind of things around um for for kids to be able to be um bouncing and jumping and uh doing big body movements um at home as well and it could be like having a time to do rough and tumble play with with kids as well or setting up like obstacle courses or ninja ninja courses whatever it is that appeals um to your child where they're crawling and climbing and moving and balancing their bodies to do um different activities and uh, uh so where kids don't don't have to be sitting still to be talking to you yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think that this benefits the communication side of things. You know, I'm, I'm picturing yeah. different activities. I know during the pandemic, when we were all at home for so long, we would take, uh, I had birthday party streamers, but I think you can do it with toilet paper too, and make like tape down the hallway to make like a laser tag kind of thing. So where they had to crawl in between. And it's been, it's been a while now since we did that, but, um, you just made me think of that for some reason. And that was so fun, but I never would have dream that that is somehow benefiting their communication skills too so that's so interesting yeah well also you know how you have um, both sides of your brain and you have like um, one side is more for expressive um, expressive language another side is more for receptive language but your vestibular system is like the only um, system in the body where it it travels up and then it goes to both sides of the brain Whereas other systems, it goes like touch, it goes from your right hand up to like the left side of the brain. But the vestibular system, it it, it goes to both sides of the brain. So it stimulates both sides of, of your brain, which is kind of maybe interesting, I think, from a language kind of communication perspective as well, that it's it's um, d- uh, stimulating both like the expressive, I, I might be oversimplifying it, but it's stimulating both sides, expression and receptive by doing movement kind of activities and I think the main thing is just moving just gets gets um gets things out of out of you in and uh uh from language and words and thoughts yeah that's so interesting and and when I think of before we had this conversation when I think of OT I think of I mean my son had OT for handwriting but otherwise I think of little kids like even like toddlers and things like that that need help with you know, being able to um, grip the crayon or, or those types of things. Yeah. But this is really applicable to all of our kids, even the, our, our tweens, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I um, I have a program for kids, helping kids with handwriting. But what we don't do any handwriting practice. We actually start from the bottom and work on these uh, underlying foundational skills. And uh, the movement part is a huge part of what what we do and we all need to move even adults are need to need to move 
So it's it's um this is applicable throughout the ages. I think the thing is what we do is um so if you think of the word occupational therapy, it's got the word occupation in it, and we're looking at whatever um ages occupation is. So if you're a teenager. I might not be getting down on the floor and um, doing like a crawling activity, maybe with a teenager, but you might be doing something different, like a ninja course or a tough mudder course or doing some something at the gym, if that's what they're interested in. It's really about looking at different ages and what the child is interested in, what is their their passion there and and um, some teenagers may be happy doing those things on the floor as well. So it just really depends on each um, child um, as yeah and and also that uh, kids don't have to rush into not playing as well sometimes we think oh a child is 11 or 12 they're too old for this but they actually really do enjoy doing doing these kinds of things as well so um, we can keep keep them young yes absolutely I know that they're at that age where because I are kids are similar ages where they are really trying hard to grow up, but they are still kids at the same time. And you can certainly see that come out when they have the opportunities to just yeah. play and not feel silly because they're too old to play or whatever. Yeah. And for us to kind of get silly with them, I think they kind of like like that as as well. And it's kind of, uh, it's nice for us as parents to be in that state and kind of hold on to your kids a little longer. Yes, for sure. So Dick, I just kind of want to take the conversation a little bit of a different direction for the next couple of minutes. You yeah. focus a lot on handwriting and teaching handwriting, which I love that you said you don't do, you don't practice handwriting in your course, which is so interesting to think about. But um, I know in my son's example, his handwriting he really has struggled with, and we finally got a diagnosis of dysgraphia. And yeah. so would like to get your input a little bit on that. And and I feel like in our situation, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because so many people don't seem to have ever heard of dysgraphia. I hadn't. Um, and a lot of his teachers had never heard of it. And I feel like we did him a disservice by not figuring this out sooner. So this is something I'd like to talk about for anybody who and maybe is trying struggling with their child's handwriting, that sometimes it is not just an OT fix by practicing handwriting, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. And actually by just practicing handwriting, it makes it really affects kids emotionally as well because they just see how they keep thinking that they're really bad at handwriting in that sense and it just affects them that they cannot. I think the key for any child with handwriting difficulties, I look at it in two ways. One is by starting from the top, and that's not with the handwriting practices, but what can we do to help kids to get their thoughts out in any way, using any kind of technology possible, using scribes um, to, to help them? The, I think the priority is really on getting your thoughts and your, your ideas out, not on manually handwriting it out. And that is to, is to preserve kids' self-esteem and confidence and to give them this, the joy of wanting to create and um, come up with ideas, if, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. at the same time, we want to really, uh, for kids with, with dysgraphia or handwriting difficulties, we want to share with them that this is just one little thing that is hard hard for you. I mean, we're not downplaying it, but there's so many other things that you're really great at. And the real and the reason is because if you're in school, handwriting is the thing you do the most in your day. Right. And there, 
seeing that all the time. So we we want to, and we need like um, the teachers and everyone to be able to point out all the amazing other things that these um, kids are able to do and give them a chance to like show that just so that it doesn't affect their self-esteem as as much. So that's my, my top yeah. down way of looking at it from an emotional perspective and um, getting, getting their thoughts out. And then in the meanwhile, we can work on all the underlying skills kids need to get to handwriting. And it usually starts with uh, the sensory processing side with having a stronger body body awareness and having spatial awareness with your body because handwriting, if you think about it, is, is just really, you have to have a lot of um, uh, visual spatial awareness and motor skills to be able to do it. So we look at what you need with the whole body first. So we start with body awareness and spatial awareness, building your core strength. So you have the stability in your core and then in your shoulders and then building up to your hands and, and your, your fingers and um, uh, developing um, the uh, the motor planning and sequencing. And there's so many different kinds of dysgraphia as well. So some kids it's more like motor coordination and some kids it's more um, being able to um, like organize the thoughts in their head to be able to write it down on paper. But I, I, I start with the whole body and um, kids are often quite interested because it's like a no writing way to help with their, their writing. And then once they're ready to do more writing, then then we can do it. But we first start with the uh, with with their un- underlying skills and putting those those bits in place first. Yeah. Then um, get to yeah. For me, the focus is always on like the the joy of doing what they want to do versus on having to hand handwrite it. But that that will come along once they have the underlying skills in place. I think all kids want to be successful at what they're doing, right? And um, and once they feel that they can do something with their body, then they they do it. And if it's um too hard, that's when they start like resisting or um, uh, being more frustrated or kind of sometimes people say they're being lazy or not listening. But it's really all those things are. It's just really that they are struggling. And if we kind of reframe it and say, oh, it's you know they're struggling with something then it puts us in a place of taking action instead of um yeah so I might be going on a whole other tangent here (laughs) no it's great and I I really just I love that you talked about the emotional aspect of it because that was a major and and that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up because that's our only experience with occupational therapy is because my son's dysgraphia but um you know when he you could ask him when he was like five you could ask him about any animal or insect in the earth and he could tell you amazing facts and everything about them in such a cohesive way. But if you asked him to write anything, it would be like a three word sentence and that's it. And because of the delay in figuring out that that was the issue, it was getting it from his brain onto the paper. He really struggled with early years of school and has never kind of recovered. He doesn't like school because of, you know, so um, I think it's just, it's, it's such an interesting concept and something that so many people don't know about. So yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you like talk about the emotional aspect of it because that's the, so important. Um, the, the vestibular system has an impact on your emotions. It's kind of why we rock babies. Um, so it, it kind of goes along with what you're saying as well. And that's it's kind of it's also why I w- will work with the body and use a lot of movement input because it that has a knock-on effect on your on the emotional side as well. And a lot of kids who've gone through this kind of trauma with writing, you have to kind of go back and unwind 
almost and um, uh, help them to come out of that that trauma first. So I, it's, it's so much more than um, just the motor side of it, isn't it? Right. Yes, absolutely. And so much more than just saying, I know you can write. If you just take your time, you can do it well. That's, you know, it, sometimes yeah, that's it's just not the case. Yeah. And it's almost <laughs> a bit like insulting, I think, yes. to be told that. And um, many kids will say initially, they'll, they'll say that they, they said that their hands are sore from writing, but nobody believed them. And so they had to, they just went right through it. Or they instead, they decide as a coping mechanism, they've decided that they're just not going to write very much. But then nobody, mm -hmm. people cannot see what they know. And that's why we need to have other ways for kids to be able to get their thoughts out whether it's by typing or scribe or speech to text or some other way, because we want to see all the great ideas that they have as well, um, not just in one one way. Um, and also all these other sensory supports that we spoke about, like being able having that vestibular input and being able to move. Uh, kids kids with like dysgraphia or handwriting difficulties, they often need more of that than other other kids might and it's that uh, nothing wrong with it it just should be kind of accepted and part of what what that you should be able to use whatever strategies you need that will help you learn and do best and be your best best self versus having to do it the way you know society wants you to do it <laughs> exactly amen to that yeah <laughs> that yeah great well, yeah Manira, this has been really helpful um, I've really enjoyed our conversation and am so in and, and, you know, really impressed to learn so much about how OT affects our communication. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we wrap things up? Um, I, I think we've said a lot. I think the main thing is that whenever uh, kids say something or they're uh, 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 frustrated or it, for us to just kind of look, look deeper and see like what else is going on. And that is, I, I think, it's never really a child's fault that they're not listening or not focusing that kids are never lazy they're never not trying hard enough what you see if, of a child I think is them doing the very best that they can with the skills that they have and that we instead we need to kind of um uh just go deeper to get to the root of whatever um difficulties that they have and um uh yeah that, that that's that, that I think that's my main main uh, thing that I like to add kind of advocate for for kids is they're doing it's kind of like what Ross Green says their kids do well when they can and they're they're really doing the best that they can with the skills that they have and we're there to kind of support them to um to get what they need to uh, uh do more of what is important to them yeah that's that's great. Well, and Manira, you have an online program. I know we talked a little bit about that. So we'll make sure we yeah. link to all of those things. Um, but if you are interested in learning more about OT and in your the program about handwriting, correct? And that's for what like age ranges is a good um a good for, for that program that you offer. Yeah. So I, I first I have this uh it's a free beyond pencil grasp workshop that I run it every few months. And that's where we talk about sensory processing and coordination more. And that's for I would say any age. And then my foundations for writing program is a 10 weeks uh, uh parent group coaching program where we go through the underlying skills and that's for for four to thirteen years years of age. Okay. Perfect. Well, we will make sure we link to all of those things. I know people are going to be wanting to check that out. Um, again, really appreciate your insight and what you're advocating for. You know, we're all here with the same purpose of building confidence in our kids and their communication skills, yeah. whether it be 
handwriting, speaking, any of those things. So thank you for all you do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you are looking for more ways to build communication skills in your kids, grab our free mini lesson on how to craft a polished and professional speech out of thin air, along with 52 fun prompts so your kids can practice every single week. You can find that along with info about our upcoming public speaking and debate courses for kids at greencommunicationsedu.com.